there is a lot of opportunity across Europe in terms of what you can do pre-launch to the general public, to patients, and it can be a very broad-based campaign across many channels. Bringing in that patient focus and developing your strategic thinking around how you want to engage with patients early on, 18 to 12 months pre-launch is not too soon to start thinking about how you want to start to communicate with patients. Hello, and thank you for joining us on this edition of the Zeus Associates Inside Global Pharma podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Curtis. In today's episode, we're asking, if you launch it, will patients use it? This is really about exploring the need for market shaping for patients to ensure success. We know that products uh, fail or succeed for a variety of reasons, but one of the biggest ones is around market shaping. And traditionally, we focus a lot on market shaping activities with healthcare professionals and even payers to an extent. But what about the patients? So joining me for today's discussion are my colleagues, Emsley Evans and Tina Shepley, partners in our global patient and consumer health practice. Hello, Tina. Hensley, welcome. Thanks, Jen. It's great to be here. Hi, everyone. I'm Hensley Evans. I lead ZS's global patient and consumer health practice. I'm based in Zurich, Switzerland. And the work I do focuses on helping organizations uh, become more patient-centered in the way they work and operate. Hi, Jen. Absolutely delighted to be here with you and Hensley today. So I am also in uh, the patient and consumer health team based in London. And my focus is really around patient activation outside of the US. So lots of experience in working with clients, you know, ahead of launch to put together disease awareness campaigns, really looking to raise awareness and educate patients in the lead up to a launch, hopefully ensure a successful launch for a new product to the market. So Hensley, you mentioned this passion to really explore and how do we evolve the pharmaceutical industry. One of the things that we are particularly interested in exploring, or at least I am from an angle, is like what really drives a successful launch. And we know that market shaping is a big part of that. But what does market shaping mean for patients? And what does that mean? Tina, I think you have some interesting views on this. Yeah, thanks, Jen. So as you mentioned earlier, a lot of traditional market development or market shaping activities really do focus on the healthcare professional or the payers. And patients are often forgotten in this. But patients do play a critical role in the success of a product launch. And market shaping for patients is really thinking about placing the patient at the heart of the launch and what you can do to help find patients, raise awareness and educate those patients so that they hopefully will get a diagnosis sooner and onto a treatment sooner. And I think if we think about historically, a lot of launches over, say, you know, the last 10 years, I think I read a study where it was about 50% of launches have underperformed analyst expectations. And we really have to ask the question, why is this? Is this because the activities that have traditionally made up market shaping, is that perhaps skewed too heavily in one direction? So I think if we consider more activities that focus on the patients and bringing them up to speed around a particular disease area and hopefully driving them into the healthcare professionals sooner, I think that could potentially do a lot to improve the success of many launches. It's an interesting point that you talked about with many products failing to reach their potential and so many activities focus on understanding healthcare professionals. But I think one of the things that we know is that a lot of companies will do things with patients, but it often comes too late, usually post-launch. 
I think there are probably a variety of reasons that motivate that. But from your experience, what tends to drive that delayed proactivity in engaging patients before you launch? So I think it's interesting, right? I think there's a misperception in Europe that because you can't do branded direct-to-consumer marketing to patients, that you can't communicate directly to patients at all. And so patients are a little bit of an afterthought, I think, in, in most European markets. But of course, when you think about it, even in the U.S., pre-launch patient communications have to be completely unbranded. And so in, in many ways, the, the kinds of things that we see companies doing to shape disease awareness and to educate patients in the U.S. market can also be executed in Europe. I think, though, there's, there's definitely a, a holdover and that it's a bit of an afterthought, which is why when we do see disease awareness campaigns being executed in Europe, they often come after launch. But there's really no reason that organizations need to wait until post-launch. And, and often it takes six to 12 months for those kinds of patient disease awareness campaigns to effectively change patient behavior. So if you wait until launch or post-launch, you're going to lose quite a bit of time before those initiatives actually uh, take hold and you start to see patients taking action, seeking diagnosis or, or treatment. And, and so really we recommend that organizations start thinking about their patient-facing market-shaping activities significantly before launch, right? A year to 18 months um, before launch. So that's a great point, Hensley, because, you know, working a lot with global clients like we do, there's so much sensitivity around what's possible to, to shape the market, particularly with disease awareness campaigns, right? All the concerns about compliance and being seen to be promotional. So yeah, a really important thing to call out, like, of course, XUS, you cannot be promotional, but there is a lot that you can do, right? And so the U.S. is often the first launch country and, and global plans are usually based on what the U.S. is doing. With patient engagement, there's always this question of what can you do in the U.S. and how much of that can you bring to XUS markets? Like, do you have to start from scratch? I mean, I think, Tina, you've done quite a bit in Europe. What's your view on how much you can carry over and, and where you need to start? You really can do a lot. I mean, provided that you are not doing anything that is branded or that is even reflecting the branding of your product, there is no reason why you can't do a very broad-based campaign that raises awareness about a particular disease area. And even to some extent, you can talk about treatment options. You just have to talk about things in a very, very balanced way. So in the way that you can reach out as well to patients is there's so many options. So you can do activities across Europe using web, using social, uh, using TV. Um, I've done many print, many radio campaigns still in this very digital age. And your, your targets as well, they, they can be very broad. So your disease awareness campaign can be targeted at several different audiences. So you can be looking at the general public, but you can also be reaching out to potential patients, but also their carers. And some of the disease awareness campaigns I've worked on in areas which are perhaps not well understood, they also are factoring in reaching out to HCPs and helping educate them about a particular disease area. So there is a lot of opportunity across Europe in terms of what you can do pre-launch to the general public, to, to patients, and it can be a very broad-based campaign across many channels. I think that's a really interesting point, right? Because that a lot of different channels can be used depending on what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to reach, and also recognizing that patients are on a spectrum as well in terms of 
their level of engagement, activation, and interest. And so you need to come up with your own engagement strategy and make sure you have a wide range of information available for patients for where they're at. And I, I think one of the things that we often see, particularly outside the U.S., is an, a reliance on patient associations to really engage the patient community preload. Is that the only way it has to be? It sounds like from what you're saying, that is a channel, but it's not the only one. I mean, partnering with PAGS or patient disease for charities as well is a fantastic way of understanding the patient perspective and also adding a level of legitimacy to the campaign. But it's not the only way that you can do it. There is no regulatory rule across European markets that says you have to be working with PAGS. I think it's important to note many people do this because it is a valuable way of launching a campaign, but it's not the only way. So I think that's just a, an important factor to you know remember that it's not a regulatory requirement. It's certainly something that every company I've worked with has, has thought about patients at some point and, and has the, the disease education and awareness campaign. I've seen a difference in how much more in the forefront this is becoming. I still think there's a, a big road ahead and a lot more that can be done pre-launch to shape it. But I think some of the, the trends around the launch context changing have facilitated this, right? Like specialty care is now driving the majority of launches. Rare disease are coming into the forefront. This idea of more niche patient populations being identified and needing to engage them, I think is probably driving a lot of this, but it's certainly highlighting this need to have a lot better understanding of the patient experience and the challenges in being able to engage them through market shaping. I think it probably also highlights that there are some common needs across uh, disease situations and contexts that really emphasize the need for market shaping. I don't know, Hensley, I think you had mentioned a few different things earlier in the conversation. Jen, you're absolutely right. We do see some, some common needs. I think you also said something super important, which is that it's critical to start with a deep understanding of the challenges that patients in your disease area are facing. And those challenges can be very specific. So uh, while I'll talk about three sort of broad need states, it's obviously important to understand exactly what's going on with, with your patients and in the markets that you're, you're focusing on. But we really see three common areas of, of focus in terms of market shaping. So one is conditions where there's low overall patient awareness. So patients wouldn't recognize the symptoms or don't think to go see a physician. And what typically happens here is that you have a very long time to diagnosis. There may be a lot of misdiagnosis or difficulty for patients finding the, the right specialist. So all of these conditions where the diagnosis is complex and challenging to navigate for patients is a place where market shaping can really help accelerate that diagnosis process, get patients into care sooner. So that's one. The second is in disease states where the diagnosis may not be as challenging, but patients may postpone or deprioritize treatment. So these may be conditions where there's a stigma associated um, with the condition, or just a condition where patients don't feel a sense of urgency. You think about conditions like hot flashes or symptoms associated with menopause or osteoporosis. And so legitimizing these um, health issues and helping to address under treatment is another reason that market shaping may be an important strategy for 
a launch. And then the final one is really communicating the value of a, of a new or novel treatment approach. And while you can't move into branded communications, if you are launching a product that is a novel treatment approach overall in the, in the category, it's often important to communicate not just to physicians, but to patients that they should consider other treatment approaches to sort of the standard of care. And I think we'll, we'll go through and we can give some examples of each of those, and that may be a helpful way to kind of bring this to life. I think that would be great. I mean, I, I think the navigating a complex diagnosis might be a, a good place to start, specifically in the context of, of the launch context, right? Seeing more and more rare diseases, because I can imagine yeah. this can be one of the core challenges. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it's super important in rare disease and getting patients to the right physician can change the time to diagnosis from, you know, in many rare diseases, it's three, five, even more um, years before a patient gets an accurate diagnosis. And if you get that down to a, a couple <laughs> couple of years, <laughs> a year or less, it would really improve the, the long-term um, patient outlook. So one example um, of a campaign here was Alnalam Pharmaceuticals uh, was launching a treatment for patients with acute hepatic porphyria or AHP, also shortened to just porphyria. And this was a global campaign. So just some notes on what AHP is, if you're not familiar, it's um, a rare genetic disease. It's debilitating. It's characterized by severe, but quite diffuse abdominal pain, uh, overall weakness, uh, fatigue, neuropathy, nausea, um, the chronic pain often can escalate into acute pain. Um, and speaking of time to diagnosis, it can take an average of 15 years for AHP patients to be properly diagnosed because they dovetail with a lot of other common conditions, as you can imagine. So there's a lot of misdiagnosis, um, sometimes invasive biopsies or surgeries, which obviously don't um, address the underlying um, disease. And so Patients are enduring hospitalizations, depression and suicide rates are increased amongst this patient population, and there's a huge impact on personal relationships. So Alnalam uh, developed a global unbranded campaign called Two of Me, Living with Porphyria, and they worked with a filmmaker who was um, Emmy nominated to make a 25 minute long documentary. And this documentary basically told the stories of seven people around the world living with AHP, they highlighted the long and torturous journey um, to diagnosis and how hard it is to live with the condition, not have people believe um, that your symptoms are, are as severe. And I, I think that why the campaign was so successful is that the documentary is a pretty major departure from, you know, when you do see pharma TV ads, it's often blue sky and green grass and very upbeat and, and positive. And, and the documentary actually um, kind of tells the story in a very realistic way and shows that all of the, the difficulties of, of getting to a diagnosis here. It was launched to coincide with Rare Disease Day, the last day of February. And the, the sort of call to action was to encourage viewers to tell 15, um, tell 15 other people about the film and echoing the 15 years that it took to get a diagnosis. And there's only around 5,000 AHP patients in the US and Europe. So spending millions of dollars for a DTC ad would, would probably just miss the people who'd need to see it. So the documentary was intended not just for patients, but also their caregivers and for physicians as well, right? So physicians are people too, and, and they really need to see the pain and the struggle 
um, as well as to see that the, the symptoms are, are real. So they'll also be showing the documentary at medical congresses throughout the year um, to help boost the message. So I think it's a great example of an organization really focusing on educating uh, about the disease in a, in a, I think, very unique and creative way. I love that example, right? Because it starts with um, the human experience of what it's like to live with it. Whereas you often hear about disease awareness campaigns that are so clinically oriented that it, it really separates the two, but it feels like doing something like this really bases it in the realities of, yeah. the, of what it is, right? And, and the you know integration of the real patients means that it's very reflective of the actual patient experience, which I think is um, you know hugely important. Yeah, it's, it's just super interesting, like kind of you know diverging from the standard path and, and the things that can emerge. I mean, I wonder, Tina, from, from your perspective when, when thinking about the challenge of legitimizing an undiagnosed health issue, how does this connect as well the need to kind of understand the, the patient as a person? So I think there is a lot of cases where patients are suffering and they are going to their doctor on a regular basis, but they're not getting the diagnosis that they need. And perhaps to some extent they are being misdiagnosed or they're even having their symptoms being delegitimized. And I think for a lot of patients, this is a, a very distressing time and quite leads to sort of a, a lot of insecurity in terms of confidence around visiting the HCP. And so I think, you know, this brings to mind an example that I saw of a campaign from Merck um, in Germany, and it was around thyroid conditions and trying to raise awareness amongst women who were displaying symptoms. And the, the campaign was called It's Not You, it's, it's Your Thyroid. And what it was really aiming to do was to raise awareness to women of a certain age and also to raise awareness amongst HCPs that a lot of the symptoms that are suffered by women who have a thyroid condition are actually very similar to, to menopause. And this leads to, I guess, a, a fobbing off to some extent was what the, the research showed from Merck, that women feel as though they are being blamed for their lifestyle choices or they're being told that actually their symptoms are, are just because of their age and because of the change in life that they're going through and that there isn't actually anything that, they, that can be done about it. But Merck really did a great job with their campaign in trying to raise awareness of similarities of the symptoms and then also just providing some confidence to women to make sure that they go back to their doctor, you know, make sure that they press and say, is it possible that this isn't just a part of aging, that this isn't just part of menopause, that this could be something like a thyroid condition and to really have the doctor investigate that further and have them consider an alternative and not just go to the default so I think this is a, a great example of how disease awareness campaigns can help legitimize an undiagnosed health issue. I think it's a great example and also shows the, the different angle from the example that Hensley talked about with navigating a complex diagnosis where you, you just don't know. You don't know what's wrong and you're not able to get any clarity versus the frustration a patient feels when they know something's wrong, but they're not able to communicate or feel like they're being taken seriously by the healthcare professionals. And so this whole idea of, you know, enabling patients to take control of this dialogue, be able to express what's going on and recognize that it's, it's not them, but empower them to be able to drive their care is a really powerful outcome and message from this kind of disease awareness. Yeah, Jen, I had mentioned osteoporosis as a 
a disease area where there is a, a lack of urgency, I guess, in treating, and it's not a European example, but a Canadian example, there was a fabulous campaign done um, by the Canadian Osteoporosis Association in, in concert with several pharmaceutical partners where they had a fashion designer design a line of clothing out of bubble wrap. And then they did a big photo shoot um, in concert with the uh, Fashion Week and I think it was Toronto. But at any rate, uh, really just to try to destigmatize and raise awareness about conditions like that, where women may actually even be aware that they have osteoporosis, but not be doing anything about it because they view it as just something that happens as they age. So we want to, you know, ensure that, you know, we're thinking about ways that we can illustrate the importance um, of treatment. And I, I love that bubble wrap example. Yeah, it's a, a great way of changing the narrative, right? And, and getting, enabling patients and people to reframe a situation. I think these are, are great examples of the challenges that people face in the system. Like, what about from the other angle, though, of how do you communicate the value of a novel product or a treatment approach to a patient? I think, Hensley, you, you had mentioned this earlier and had some examples around Parkinson's. An example that we actually highlight in the book uh, is treatment for Parkinson's disease. So um, there are some pharmacological treatments for, for Parkinson's, some of which work for some patients, and some patients find that those treatments, medical treatments don't work as well. Deep brain stimulation is a procedure that places a medical device in the brain of patients to treat movement disorders, so Parkinson's among them. But a lot of physicians unfamiliar with deep brain stimulation are uncomfortable bringing it up to their patients as an option. And brain surgery sounds super scary, right? So many patients, if their doctor's not super positive about the idea are reluctant to even consider it, um, even though um, it is a, a breakthrough treatment. So DBT Select is a EIT health initiative. So it's co-funded by the EU, but they wanted to really validate um, deep brain stimulation therapies. Boston Scientific is an external partner. They contribute funds to the initiative, and obviously they manufacture uh, one of the medical devices that can be used in deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's patients. Um, but the content provided is coming from thought leaders within the European um, organization, so the University of Cologne, and it's highly unbranded. And so really the uh, DBT Select is a digital communication platform, a website and advertising that communicates to patients and caregivers what deep brain stimulation is and how it works and how really to help reassure patients that it's safe, that it's effective, and that it can be considered as an option for patients that aren't getting great results with medical therapy for, for Parkinson's disease. I think why that's also a really powerful example is because it's about the dynamic between the patient and the healthcare professional, right? Because oftentimes we expect um, doctors to know how to explain stuff to feel comfortable with with these different therapies but that's sometimes an assumption especially with these very novel therapies and you can have a very activated patient come and talk to them and discuss it and ultimately have them dissuaded because of the physician's own discomfort with understanding the the therapy and how it works and so like this idea of syncing up both how you're shaping physicians understanding along with the patients and caregivers seems like a really like excellent way to align objectives across these different educational campaigns. 
I know we're, we're kind of wrapping up towards time and, and there are so many great examples in the book that we encourage people to, to read through those. But maybe just as we, we wrap up, if you were to advise a pharmaceutical company on what's the best way to really get ready to launch a product and the top priorities to get right and invest in, in shaping the market, what would your, your top recommendations be? So, I mean, I think we've talked about this up front, right? Like bringing in that patient focus and developing your strategic thinking around how you want to engage with patients early on, right? 18 to 12 months pre-launch is not too soon to start thinking about how you want to start to communicate with patients. We also talked about these three uh, sort of broad uh categories of need, but obviously thinking about not only your individual brand's needs, but also how that translates in the individual markets, right? The complex diagnosis process in one market may look very different from the diagnosis process in another. So making sure that you understand the individual market needs where you're launching first and rooting all of your work in deep patient understanding and insight. I, I love the first example for porphyria patients. Um, that was a documentary of patients, right? So really involving the patients in the process and defining how you, you know, focus and engage them in, in, the, in the process. And in some cases that can be very, very direct. So I think when it comes to markets outside of the US, it's having the confidence to know that you can go out and engage patients pre-launch. It, it just can't be branded, but there are many options in terms of campaigns that you can do around the disease area. So it is possible. I think the other thing as well is, is just thinking about activities for patients. If you're going to do it pre-launch, you also need to think about alignment with the HCPs, ensuring that communications are also being had with healthcare professionals, letting them know how you are you know, raising awareness amongst you know, the general population so that they are aligned too. And that if patients and your campaign is successful and you've got patients going in to see the HCPs, that there's no surprise there. So I think those are very much key takeaways for me. Thank you both. I think we had a great discussion today and it's clear there's so much more that can be done to shape the market for patients before launching. Um, while disease and education campaigns, it's something that's often done like a check the box exercise. There's so many ways that we can get creative and it's, it's such an important step in preparing the market. So I think our, our advice for pharma companies today is, is clear, right? It's invest early strategically, deeply understand that patient experience and define those objectives for the campaigns and make sure that they're working in parallel with other engagement campaigns you're doing with healthcare professionals and payers. Hopefully by doing that, you'll create a really integrated experience that will ensure that if you launch it, patients will use it. So that's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And thank you and join us for another edition of Inside Global Pharma Podcast.